Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning everybody and welcome to another edition of Keep Left, the programme of the Victorian Labour College. In the studio is Kim Doyle. Hi everyone. John Lapperty. Uh, morning everybody. And myself, Chris Gaffney. So, uh, who's going to start? Sorry? No, who would like to start? Well, okay, you start well, this time. Just I think I'll start, Chris. Uh, I've just uh, just my microphone here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a bit... It's a bit is, is that okay? Can people hear me there? Yes, I can. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, I was having a look at the, um, <coughs> the United States having the presidential nominations at the moment. On the ABC24 programme this week, an American political expert, so we were told, tried to tell us that the domination of powerful families in US politics is a new thing. It isn't a new thing. So at the moment, the United States presidential campaigns are, um, the United States presidential campaigns are very drawn out affairs. The actual election isn't until November 2016, but already candidates are putting themselves forward. Now, this idea of powerful families is it a new thing. Jeb Bush is on the Republican side. Jeb is the son of former President and Vice President George H.W. Bush. He's also the brother of former President George W. Bush. In fact, the Bushes are a dynasty. You have to go back to 1976 to find the last Republican administration which didn't have a Bush as President or Vice President. There have been five Republican administrations in that time, spanning 20 years. Jeb's campaign, however, is trying to sell the message that he's somehow different. He's different from the current government and different from previous Bush governments. That's the main reason his campaign slogan is simply his first name, Jeb. Now, some some folk might like to make fun of his name. I don't think they should. His down-home name is actually considered a vote winner, and it's similar to tactics used to win Ronald Reagan and George W. Bush, a total of 16 years in office. They always would refer to W, if you remember, and this is supposed to be down-home and somehow humorous. Along with the name, and in order to further create the illusion of something new, Jeb also kept his father and his brother well away from his campaign announcement. But make no mistake, Jeb is a Bush and his family contacts were integral to his career. From 1999 to 2007, he was the governor of Florida. That state's crooked voting system, remember the Chad system, was significant in helping put George W. into the White House. That and a Supreme Court, which had been largely picked by his father, George H. W. and Ronald Reagan. (coughs) A 5-4 to vote by the U.S. Supreme Court actually decided the outcome of the 2000 presidential election. In those days, George W.'s right-wing version of religion was often criticised, but Jeb is considered by many to be even more extreme. In 1995, he converted to Catholicism. He identifies strongly as pro-life when it comes to abortion, but when it comes to capital punishment, he is distinctly pro-death. During his governorship of Florida and George W.'s in Texas, the two brothers presided over the most judicial killings of any two states. That's a contra- I've always found that a contradiction in fundamentalist Christians. Well, Anti-abortion <clears throat> but pro-hanging. How can you reconcile those? Yeah, it's well, just right-wing. 
Huh? Ideology, I think. Yeah, well, just about controlling people. Well, yeah, well said. Those two set the records through the um, 2000s, you know, in Texas and Florida. I mean, they are big states, but they set the records. Lots of people to hang. It was off the charts in Texas. It was ridiculous. At one time, Texas was killing more than the whole rest of the country combined uh, under uh, W. Uh, so that would have been the, the, the 90s, yeah. Um, as for Jeb's economic and foreign policies, he's just as pro-war and anti-worker as his brother or father. We all have a good idea of what a Jeb Bush presidency would look like. Now, Hillary Clinton is the front-runner for the Democrats, as she was back in 2008. That was before Barack Obama won, largely based on the identity politics of skin colour. This time, Hillary is hoping that the identity politics of gender will get her over the line. And you pretty strongly believe that she will. Hillary Clinton? She's certainly the front-runner at the moment. Oh, I would guess so. I mean, I don't know. I mm. don't know. But uh, she'd be appalling. She's, absolutely, she's really right-wing. Yeah, not and aggressive. Uh, uh, U.S. <laughs> in foreign policy, very aggressive. Zionist uh, is one way of describing. Well, but, you know, all Bush. I mean, goodness, man. The liberal ABC, they, they love her. They tell us that his, Hillary, first name preferred, as with Jeb, she appeals to everyday Americans. For every day, we have to read ordinary and average. And while she, while she may do her best to appeal, that doesn't make her appealing. A casual look at her background and policies shows that she's just another careerist out to boost her power and her ego. Now, the Bushes, I think they're in the billionaire category. I'm pretty sure they are. The Clintons, it's very, very often you'll find this with the Republicans, you have billionaires. With the Democrats, a little bit poorer, but you've got to have a choice, right? They're, used they're only multi-millionaires. They're only, <laughs> they're only multi-millionaires. How embarrassing. So, how embarrassing for quite years. So It's pretty sickening. But uh, she must be doing it for power or ego because she's certainly not doing it for money because with a combined worth of some $100 million, the Clintons don't do it for money. And nobody, nobody outside of the Bushes probably could better represent the American political establishment better than Hillary Clinton. Her record quickly, from 1983 to 1992, her husband Bill was governor of Arkansas. From 1993 to 2001, he was a US president and she was called... First Lady. From 2001 to 2009, she was the governor of New York, and from 2009 to 2013, she got over the little spat she had with Obama, and she was the US Secretary of State. Under Barack Obama, of course, the man who she lost the nomination to back in 2008. Clearly, the Bushes and Clintons represent two very powerful American political dynasties, but is this, as the ABC expert would have us believe, a new and unusual state of affairs? I'd say it isn't. Despite the fact that the U.S. was founded on the overthrow of the old British ruling family, the Americans have continuously thrown up their own powerful political dynasties. The first was the Adams family, not not the TV show. Right, right. These are the, orig- the original <laughs> yes. Adams yes. family. I like okay. the Adams family. Uh, now they were all right. Yeah, <laughs> it's such Morticia. a sweet relationship yes. that she had with her husband. Diddly do. <laughs> Okay, but this is the original Adams family. The second U.S. president was John Adams. He was in there from 1797 to 1801. And the sixth U.S. president was his son, John Quincy Adams, from 1825 to 1829. Fast forward a few presidents, and you get the 26th U.S. president, who was Theodore Roosevelt, and he he got two terms from 1901 to 1909. His niece was Eleanor, who married her fifth cousin, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. 
It's very confusing, this. Mm. Franklin Delano Delan Roosevelt was the 32nd U.S. president from 1933 to 1945, and he won a record four terms. He died in office in 1945. Franklin Delano Roosevelt is considered by many reformers to be one of the best presidents, and Hillary Clinton this week tried to bask in the glow of that. She launched her ca- campaign at Four Freedoms Park on Roosevelt Island. In the 1930s, FDR initiated the New Deal, which was a social net safety net at the height of the Great Depression. Now, it could be argued, uh, but it would be by a lot of people, that this was actually about saving capitalism from itself. But it did usher in many welfare reforms. Hillary chose to keep quiet about the fact that her husband, Bill, allied with the Republicans in the 1990s to, quote, end welfare as we knew it. They pretty much set about ripping it up. Of course, the most infamous of all American political dynasties were the Kennedys. The great thing about the Kennedys is that we don't hear too much about them these days, so I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> right, well, well, he was a war profiteer. The, the, yeah, all right. I was going to say nothing about them. Right, okay, it's... no, no, all right. Okay, all right. <laughs> well, I'm going to talk about sort of the same region, about the US, Um but people may have seen the Murdoch-owned Sunday Times published as their lead front page on Sunday an article headlined, British Spies Betrayed to the Russians and Chinese. Um, and the article comes just as the mainstream media narrative was shifting in a more pro-Snowden direction um, in the wake of a key court ruling. Now, the court ruling found that uh, the NSA mass phone surveillance and collection of millions of Americans' phone records revealed by Edward Snowden um, was illegal, um, which would seem pretty obvious to most people, but they had to bring it through the courts. The article claims in the first paragraph that these uh, two supposed adversaries, um, the Rus- this, that is the Russians and the Chinese, have cracked the top secret cache of files stolen by the fugitive U.S. whistleblower Edward Snowden, forcing MI6 to pull agents out of live operations in hostile countries, according to senior senior officials in Downing Street, the Home Office, and the Security Service. And it continues, Western intelligence agencies say they have been forced into the rescue oper- into rescue operations after Moscow gained access to more than one million classified files held by the former American security contractor who fled to seek protection from Vladimir Putin, the Russian president, after mounting one of the largest leaks in U.S. history. Um, senior government sources confirmed that China had also cracked the encrypted files which contained details of secret intelligence techniques and information that uh, could allow British and American spies to be identified. And one Home Office uh, official accused Snowden of having blood on his hands, although Downing Street said there were there was no evidence of anyone being harmed, which seems slightly contradictory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the <clears throat> this story was sort of dutifully recycled in other Murdoch outlets, such as The Australian. And aside from them being outright fabrications, um, a lot of what's contained in the articles, um, the entire report is really a joke. Um, how could you? Poss- how could Snowden possibly have um, blood on his hands? As like I, as the Home Office themselves said, there's no evidence of anyone being harmed. I mean, a casual observer might say that the well might speculate that the media had been 
you know, told to get, we want that sentence, blood in his hands, associated yes. with Snowden, and get it in there somehow. Which I think they used that when they were speaking about Assange. Yes, too, yeah. You know. And about Manning, it's, I think it's the same sort of... Um, they're, at, they're, they're in the business of saving lives. Oh, yeah, yeah. When, yeah, when they kill all those Apart folk. from when they're dropping bombs. <laughs> yes, yeah, apart from that. So the article got basic facts wrong um, and contained internal contradictions um, and relied on fiction, really. I only have time to m- mention a few of these fictions. Um, so despite the claim that Russia, or that Russian and Chinese spies cracked into the top-secret cache of files... The article went on to say it is not clear whether Russia and China stole Snowden's data or whether he voluntarily handed over his secret documents in order to remain at liberty in Hong Kong and Moscow. Mm. The article also referred to uh, the detention of journalist uh, Glenn Greenwald's partner, uh, David Miranda, at Heathrow Airport and said that he had visited Snowden in Moscow when, in fact, he had uh, visited a different journalist in Berlin. Uh, but this has actually been taken off the online version of the article, so they've, that seems to me a sort of acknowledgement of its uh, being false. Um, and in fact, the documents taken by Snowden did not include details of MI6 agents, um, and he did not take the documents with him when he left Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. And an anonymous British government source says Snowden deliberately fled to Russia. Um, that's what I quoted earlier, when in fact he was trapped there by the US on his way to Latin America. So the whole article um, seems to do nothing but quote anonymous British officials, and as it turns out, the story relied heavily on its um, heavily on a set of uh, U.S. Department of Defense talking points, which were recently obtained by Vice News. Uh, but why they have begun smearing Snowden again um, is another matter, and I did mention that Congress has recently. Um, moved to curtail some of the NSA's powers um, and that there's been a lot of discussion about the role that uh, Snowden's revelations played in this. So I think that there's a there's been a renewed push to assert the whole Snowden is a traitor narrative. Mm-hmm. But there's also another possible reason. Um, the United States has recently suffered one of its, I think, uh, an intelligence disaster of which was much, much worse than um, anything that the Snowden leaks could have represented. So on June the 4th, um, the US government's public service agency, the Office of of Personal Management, revealed its database of information on 4 million current and former federal employees had been hacked. Now, it suspects China, but it always does. It it didn't actually discover the leak itself, a third party found it and alerted the office, so they're sort of completely seem to be completely in the dark about it. The personal information included financial records um, of four million federal employees, and it's that's obviously quite serious. Uh, but it gets even worse. The subsequent investigation revealed that the security clearance database held by the office had also been compromised. So whoever hacked into the Office of Personal Management had access to personal information of a further roughly 10 million US citizens, and specifically the information provided by these employees for the purposes of obtaining security clearances. So the material hacked um, is sourced from a 172-page clearance document uh, federal employees have to fill out. So it's quite comprehensive. And the, imp- the information obtained for security clearances um, is often extensive personal information on family, friends, medical conditions, alcohol and drug consumption, personal finances, 
uh, travel, relationships and the like. Um, But still it gets even worse uh, for the US intelligence um, because although intelligence and covert agencies don't use the Office of Personal Management for their security clearance purposes, um, many of the people in intelligence and security agencies come from other sectors of the federal government where they were previously assessed by the Office of Personal Management, which means that among the 14 million people who may have been compromised by this hack, there are certainly large numbers of current uh, intelligence and security officers whose personal information has been obtained by whoever, who could be obtained by whoever hacked into the database. So millions of people and vast amounts of the most personal information that you could possibly have um, seems to be out there. Um, And unlike the Snowden claims, these hacks actually will reveal US spies, although I don't know how incredibly upset I am about that. But it (laughs) will also leave millions of federal workers at risk of any number of cyber attacks. Um, You could imagine identity theft... um, because of the personal information that's been revealed um, and even blackmail. So I think that that is something that I do sympathise with a lot more. Four million people. Fourteen. Fourteen, 14. federal employees. Mm. Well, that's, that's the... that's Past the, and present, I'd imagine. Yeah. yeah that's an awful lot yeah, of It's the, the possibility of, yeah. So it's just incredible that... I don't think it's... It's no coincidence that they're trying to smear Snowden again at the time mm. when they've obviously stuffed up big time, but I don't oh, yeah. see how this Smoke can... Yeah, I don't see how this can possibly um, cover their asses, though. Mm. Um, and it it shows really that it's the system when they go on and on and moralise about whistleblowers and um, activists, you know, revealing information and putting people's lives at risk. Mm. Actually, it's the system that puts people's lives at risk by having these vast spying networks, which end up all being about imperialism and profit. And control, of course. Mm. Uh, people, before I start, uh, we had our radios on last week and I would like to genuinely thank everybody who donated to Keep Left's Total. Uh, we did pretty well. Uh, if you haven't donated to the radios on and or to this program, you can do so uh, today on 9419 Nine four one nine eight three double seven. We're almost at our total, and if you haven't donated, your donation will make possibly the difference. So, nine four one nine eight three double seven. Well, I think what we've seen, and this is not a new statement, that we're seeing the death of social democracy. That is the tendency within the labour movement that believes that you can reform capitalism and somehow reach a more equitable system, if not socialism. Well, those days are gone. Social democracy now has aligned itself uncompromisingly with capital. And this was brought out in the week uh, with uh, the denying the denial of penalty rates by trade union leaders. Two Sydney casual workers for Clean Event, one of Australia's biggest cleaning contractors, were interviewed by the WSWS, the World Socialist website. They revealed that they'd been stripped of penalty wage rates as a result of the AWU, the Australian Workers' Union, or Australia's worst union, as as is known, uh, as a result of the uh, agreements between the AWU since 2002 when they began working for the company. They spoke of repeatedly complaining to the union about their substandard pay and conditions, only to be brushed aside. The interviews confirmed that the AWU imposed large wage cuts on about 4,000 casual cleaners, 
nationally in return for clean event secretly enrolling its employees in the union and paying for their union dues. The workers recruited in this operation didn't even know they were union members. Mm. Under a secret memorandum of understanding signed by the company in the union in 2010, casual cleaners were paid as little as 16.64 an hour for working any day of the week and at any time, instead of the usual rates of up to $50 an hour under the relevant industrial award. The agreement was signed by the ATWU National Secretary at the time, Paul Howes, who's gone on to be a corporate employee and a swine of a man at the best of time. But he's now openly gone over to the other side. He now works for the mining companies, I think. Documents presented last week to a royal commission set up by the Abbott government, supposedly to investigate union corruption, also shows that Bill Shorten, about whom I'll say more later, signed a 2004 agreement with Clean Event based on this same flat rate regime. As well as extra funds, falsely inflated union membership statistics gives the AWU bureaucracy bigger voting blocks in union congresses and the Labour Party, so that people like uh, Shorten can rise to prominence in the ALP backed up by these votes. They interviewed, the WS interviewed a woman called Rebecca, we'll give her that name, who's been working for Clean Event for more than 12 years. She said, we never got penalty rates. It was only $16 an hour to start with in 2002, and we've only had a $5 rise in all that time. That's 13 years later. She was scathing about the role of the AWU. Mm. We never got any papers from the union. We filled in forms for our tax file numbers, etc., and that's it. No union, nothing. Then they took me off the union and didn't tell me. Last year when I complained to the union about something, they turned around and said, oh, you're not a member anymore. Mm. If workers made any complaints about the conditions, Clean Event would stop offering them any work. Mm. It's casual um, employees. That's moment. right. Joan, who started with Clean Event in 2002, said, For 12 years, we never had penalty rates or holiday rates. I think it stinks. Mm. I've been dealing with the union for quite a few years. I always wondered why I could never get anywhere, why it was always pushed under the carpet. Now that we... Uh, now that we know, uh, now that we know what's going on, uh, going down, I understand why the union was getting nowhere. One of the clauses in the agreement stated that that they could not bring any dispute to light. That's why all our complaints over the last ten years, when we weren't paid penalty rates, have gone nowhere. That's why the bosses are laughing at us, saying it, it's because of the union. Mm. It's under the EBA. Jones spoke about some conditions that the casual workers face. There's a lack of staff, lack of equipment, lack of communications. We're under pump at major events. Mm -hmm. She explained why clean event workers had to work long shifts. We have to get hours to get good money. We work for 10 or 12 hours to make it worthwhile. Mm. Now, Tony Abbott seized on relevations from his government's ongoing Royal Commission to denounce the opposition leader, Bill Shorten, for doing sweetheart deals with employers while a trade union leader. Now... We should point out the obvious, that Abbott's uh, breadth of hypocrisy in this is mind-blowing. But nevertheless, what he's saying is true. Abbott and Shorten, they're both posed as defender of low-paid workers. Among the AWD deals was a secret 2010 memorandum of understanding with Clean Event that saved the company an estimated $6 million, $6 million, in wages over three years. 
The MOU, the Memorandum of Understanding, extended early apprentice uh, enterprise agreements, signed under Shorten's leadership in 2004 and six, that eliminated penalty rates for weekend, public holiday and night shifts for casual <laughs> cleaners. Abbott's claim to oppose unions enforcing the removal of penalty rates is blatantly duplicitous. His government is intent on meeting the demands of the corporate elite, which includes not just scrapping penalty rates on which many workers depend to survive, but the wholesale driving down of wages and dismantling of working conditions. Just six months ago, Abbott declared his support for the abolition of penalty rates. That's so we right. can, we can, he's playing politics at, mm-hmm. at um, Shorten's expense. Abbott welcomed propos- proposals by the Australian Productivity Commission for systematic wage cutting to match the levels already opposed on the working class in Europe, the United States and elsewhere. The Commission, the Australian Productivity Commission, openly canvassed abolishing penalty wage rates and scrapping the minimum wage. In reality, scrapping penalty rates would force millions of workers, particularly the young, to work at any hour of the day or week on low rates of pay, which would be further undermined by the abolition of the minimum wage. Mm -hmm. Shorten's been just as two-faced. He refused to either confirm or deny his involvement in the AW deals, even though he signed the 2004 agreement. As the public record shows, Shorten's claims to have defended the interests of the workers is a fraud. Only three months ago, he hailed as a win-win mm-hmm. an agreement signed by the human covering retail workers, the Shops Distributive and Allied Employees so Association, mm-hmm. a DLP union, to drastically reduce weekend and evening penalty rates for 40,000 low-paid shop assistants mm-hmm. working in South Australian small business. Under the 2004 and 2006 deals that the AWU, led by Shorten, signed with Clean Event, the company could impose on full-time cleaners low yearly salaries starting at $33,000 a year that excluded all shift, weekend and public holiday penalties, including up to seven hours of unpaid overtime a week and permitted shifts of up to 12 hours. So much for the eight-hour day. Shorten was the Victorian Secretary of the AWU from 98 to 2006 and the Union's National Secretary from 2001 to 2007. During that period, documents tendered at the Royal Commission showed that the Union signed enterprise agreements with major companies for them, to pay, for them the companies, to pay the, the Union, union dues mm-hmm. for their entire workforces. Yeah. Nice little deal for oh, Shorten and his mate. I think so. Abbott accused Shorten and other union leaders of letting down the workers in order to promote their position inside the Labour Party. True enough. The comments reflected long-standing demands from sections of the media and the corporate elite for the Labour Party to sever its ties with the trade unions. Well, I think they're effectively doing that. A barrage of editorials in Murdoch's Australian over the last two weeks has demanded that Shorten come clean on the union deals and insists... This is the Australian. Insists that the Labour Party break or reduce its ties to affiliated unions. Despite all the services that the Labour Party has performed for big business in attacking the social position of the working class, sections of the ruling class are demanding an even more malleable political instrument, uninhibited by the sectional interests of the trade union apparatus. The current AW leaders, who impose the deal with clean event on their members for more than a decade, 
rushed into the Fair Work Commission Industrial Tribunal last Thursday to end the 2006 agreement, admitting its only purpose was to deny employees access to weekend and public holiday penalty rates. A bit late, you would think. Claims by the AWU bureaucrats to have suddenly discovered this, only after it was exposed publicly, have no credibility whatsoever. The the AWU's deals epitomise the role of the entire labour and union movement in functioning as the instruments of big business, in driving down wages and conditions, and dismantling the past gains of the working class, such as penalty rates. Why? In order to boost the international competitiveness of Australian corporations. Social democracy has well and truly taken the side of capitalism. The The prospect for reforming capitalism is nil. What worries me, though, is about (coughs) this being brought before the (coughs) Bosses Commission, because you know that they're not going to use it to, what, reform, you know, the Bosses unions. Look look after the welcome. Well, they're going to do it. What they're going to do is they're going to use it to attack unions that do actually fight for their Mm. workers, like CFMEU. That's right. The thing with casual workers is they're often this, this, this huge amounts of these casual workers might be employed by a company, and they actually have to just wait around for shifts to be offered to them. And that's totally at the company's discretion. So there's no security there whatsoever. So if you do speak out or do the wrong thing, you simply won't get any work. Uh, and, and the same can be said for a lot of people working as security guards. These people, it's normal for them to work 12 plus hours. Quite normal. It's yes. like the bull system, really, except you're sitting at home with your phone instead of, you know, on the mm. docks trying to scramble, you know, to Similar, get the phone Yeah, like the Depression, like the Great yeah. Depression, or, you know, of, on the waterfront, <laughs> stuff like this. Yeah. That's right. And now how casual workers with this sort of regime, with the connivance of the union, how mm. are they meant to survive plus buying a house, a la Mr Joe Hockey's con him, uh, saying mm. that if you get a well-paid job, uh, well, you can get a house. It's, and it, super. It's huh? a huge problem for casuals is that, especially well, women are often concentrated in casual jobs, mm. is There's that you end up... Too, yeah. yeah, is that mm. you end up um, being homeless when you know, you're a middle-aged woman because you don't have any super, you can't afford to buy a house. Mm. It's... Mm. Yeah, it's just you can't ridiculous. afford the rent. And when these bosses turn round to the, the the people like the workers and say, "Well, you know, this you've been screwed by the unions here," like yes. you were saying before about the AWU, yes. this is actually true. So, what are a lot of these people, if they don't know better, going to think about unions in general if there is experiences of some union like the AWU? Well, they're going to see the bosses. They're going to see the bosses and the unions as the same. Yeah. Same. So, they want to end, want to have anything to do with the unions. You it's know? Just win win right. for the so, liberals. Yes, win win. For Shorten, though, but Shorten's due to face the, uh, that commission on July the 8th, I believe. Yes, 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 yes. Well, I mean, hopefully it'll mean the death knell for Shorten as leader. I mean, mm. it's unlikely, though, they will re- be replaced by anybody remotely left wing in the Labour Party. Mm. Those days are gone. Yeah, but the I mean, Labour Party's days of reforming the system or changing yeah. it. Ah. But Go speaking on. from a from a, a point of view of you know the, the Labour Party, what would be good for them? I think just about anyone would be better than Shorten. Shorten, this is contemptible. Well, it's not only is he contemptible, he's totally unimposing. There's, yeah. he's feeble. feeble. I know it's it's difficult because like you know, can you not have like a an eye patch or something? You've got to give us something to. That's identifiable <laughs> to hate. If if he was to develop a limp, if Maybe. he was to uh, get into power, it would be purely by default, which is pretty much what Abbott did too. It'd be default because people are so anti-Abbott. 
Well, yes, but you get into power with zero promises to change anything. Hmm. Yeah, that's the problem. There's no pressure on him to do anything. There's no pressure on him to do anything. And he clearly, by by their stance on penalty rates, they don't give a bugger about ordinary workers and casual workers. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.